Hello, hockey fans. Log Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Order, along with Chris Lee, out on Long Island. We've got a great show today. We're going to go inside the Vegas Golden Knights bipolar start. Um, on the surface of things, it looks like they had a good road trip, but if you look a little deeper, there might be some cracks in the armor, so to speak. Um, we're going to bring in Rob Soria from uh, at oil underscore drop on Twitter. He covers the Oilers for the hockeywriters.com. He also is the author of the book, Connor McDavid, Hockey's Next Great One. Uh, we're going to go inside the Oilers' hot start and, and what's going on up in Edmonton. So it's going to be a great show. Chris, good day to you, sir. Hey, buddy. Good day to you. Yeah, I was in prepping for the show, yes, uh, uh, this, towards the end of the week. It's like, well, you know, Vegas, last time we, of last week's show, uh, we talked about uh, the, the three-game road trip. They overall had a good trip coming home, a uh, tough test against uh, – you know, it was all sunshine and roses, and then last night, but late uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, if you will, was a bit sobering. But um, uh, so yeah, seven and five to start the year. You know, not bad. I mean, better than last year. Uh, I don't know. I have, don't have the numbers in front of me. They got off to a, a worse start last year. It was a little. It, it, you know, look, it's a long season. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Colorado is a really good team. You know, you're going to lose games. Uh, along the way. What is uh, a little alarming for me is I did catch a little uh, bit post-game on the NHL Network uh, last night and seeing Mark Stone being interviewed at his locker saying, you know, we got to start. Our work ethic has not, you know, basically it's not been good. And, you know, that is, you know, surprising uh, considering the expectations for the team, considering the quality of the team, uh, and also considering, you know, I could see, um, what's that expression? Uh, you know, you overlook somebody uh, if an all due respect to Ottawa or, you know, a bottom five team comes to town after, after a road trip and, you know, a little asleep at the wheel and, you know, you don't have your best game. But when you have, like, a top team coming in, you would think you would be on your P's and Q's. So uh, it's it's a little puzzling and alarming at the same time. But, uh, yeah, they got some things to work on. And uh, last night was the first of, of this four-game homestand. So um, what did you see from uh, the uh, night yesterday afternoon, I should say? A lot of nothing, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, the, the, the announcers were, were definitely uh, critical. Um, using phrases like not emotionally involved in the game, um, worst game in T-Mobile history by the Golden Knights, and I probably agree with that. And, but it kind of goes in the, in the theme of, of um, 
last last year their first ten they were four five and one without Schmidt and Tuck. Um, this year they were six and four, so a little bit of an improvement from last year. Yep. Uh, with this, but then you also have uh, uh, Stone, Pacioretty, and Stastny as your second line, as as opposed to where they were last year with Stastny um, getting hurt, Halla getting hurt. Um, so there were some injury concerns along with the suspension to Nate Schmidt and, and Alex Tuck's injury as well. You expect them to be better than last year without Schmidt and Tuck. You know what I mean? Because of the mm-hmm. impact, right? Because of the, how effective that second line can be when they're engaged in the game. Um, go back to last Saturday when you had the, we, when we talked last week, I thought that the right thing to do would be to, um, start Dansk in Philly after an emotional return to Pittsburgh for Flurry, and then bring Flurry back in for the Chicago game. And you're essentially, you're resting him uh, four out of five days. Um, and, and I was willing to give up a stinker in Philly and that's exactly what we got. Um, and then, I mean, after a fantastic performance from Mark Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh, it shut out and, and just highlight reel after highlight reel saves. And then, then you go to Philly, and, and I, you know, like you said, you can understand a letdown game uh, sometimes during the season. You're on the road. Uh, your backup goalie's in in Philly. So, you know, chalk that one up to, to what it's worth. But you go to Chicago, and it looks like a, a 2-1 winner on the stats and you do get the two points for a four out of six point road trip. And, and that's all great on the surface, but it's like putting icing on, on over a cake that's made out of, uh, I don't know, seaweed and, and grass clippings or something because you give up six in Philly and Philly ha- had had trouble scoring um, before, before the golden Knights came to town. And in Chicago, you need a, uh, you need a goal from Nick Holden with what a minute 29 on the clock, just to tie the game at one. And then you get the shootout winner and, and everything looks good, but the, there's, you know, you shouldn't and with flurry in that again, playing, you know, well over his head. And then you have the two days off and you come home and I know the stats and the betting and, and the trends as far as first game back at home after a road trip, um, a lot of times it goes against the home team for whatever reason, but you had two days rest. Yep. Um, you had a fresh Andre Fleury who's coming off of four, four, four days and five days off. And to see the effort yesterday against Colorado, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and um, it was Pierre-Edouard Belmar's, you know, return to, to the Golden Knights and he scored freaking three seconds in the game, whatever it was. And, uh, of course, right? Of course, your your old friend comes back to haunt you, but uh, you know his team was going to be fired up coming back into the the fortress there at T-Mobile Arena to, to get him the win in his return. And the Golden Knights should have anticipated that and been ready to answer the bell. Uh, excuse me. God bless. Okay, here we go. And they didn't show up. I mean, I don't know if it's the three o'clock start. That's no excuse. And could just lay, lay. You know, they got the they they tied the game at one, but then right at the end of the second period, right away they give up the 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 second goal, and uh, never answered the bell after that. So, and it was also uh, Garrett Sparks came in when it was four to one. As yep. Ansk had been sent back down earlier in the week, and Garrett Sparks came in and played okay. I mean, when you come in off the bench, um, you're not thinking you're going to play. It's you know, it's always tough to come in in that situation, especially against a team like Colorado. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely when when we see this team engaged and we see them emotionally involved in the game. You know, the first two games against San Jose, obviously. Um, you, you, you look. They look like they could beat anybody on the planet. Uh, the way they played last Saturday against Pittsburgh, um, that was it, as far as the final score of three nothing. They got two empty net goals in the last minute, so that was a one nothing game into the 59th minute of the game against their backup goalie. And that's another trend that's becoming disturbing. Ottawa um, 
they got the win in that game. Uh, their backup goalie, 52 saves, <laughs> um, and, and the Knights squeaked that one out. Then one one goal except for two empty netters against Pittsburgh, against not Matt Murray. Um, Brian Elliott was the goaltender in Philly who, who pasted him. Chicago, it was uh, not Corey Crawford. Uh, Colorado got Grubauer's best or out, got the best out of Grubauer yesterday, so that was a starting goalie who put the slacking on him. But I'm tired of I'm tired of Golden Knights making other teams' backup goalies look like the love child of Dominic Hask and Patrick Waugh. Um, they're having trouble scoring, and that leads into one of the points you wanted to get to. Um, was was are they top heavy at this point in time as far as scoring, and where is the depth scoring going to come from? Yeah, they, it seems like it's, you know, the usual suspects from Pacioretty to, to Stone to Carlson, if you will, to Riley Smith. But then uh, uh, Cody Glass has chipped in, uh, uh, you know, I'm probably missing somebody else. But for the most part, that's the crux of the scoring. And I know Tuck is out, so that hurts them a little bit uh, uh, on their on their third line, if you will. Cody Eakin, I don't think, has a point yet this year after uh, having a 20-goal season last year. Uh, Stastny's also chipped in, obviously. He's he's produced. But with Nate Schmidt out, there's not really a lot on the blue line where the defense is contributing. Shea Theodore's got a few points, a couple goals. But it, it seems like it's from that group of, you know, five or six guys, and that's where all the the scoring has come from, at least at this point. Um, you know, obviously getting Tuck back uh, will, will be a, uh, a shot in the arm, getting Schmidt back, uh, things of that nature. I'm sure, sure Cody Eakin will start, but that he's, um, you know, a 60-point player. But obviously he's a guy who can give you, you know, 20 goals. And, uh, and we gave 20 goals last year. He's a guy who can contribute secondary offense. So it's been a little thin in, in that regard so far, which kind of leads into your point about, you know, uh, Scoring goals hasn't been easy for them, and uh, it, it, you know when you again it's when you look at the numbers, like you say, you're like, oh, their goals for is is X. This is what they're averaging per game. That's not bad. That's pretty good. But it's you know there's a lot of empty net goals in there, so uh, uh, that's always something to take in uh, to take into consideration. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think the overall and then the other thing for me is. Uh, you know, I, I just at this point in time, I don't know what Subban's status is, but even with with Subban, a healthy Subban, it doesn't seem to me that the organization has a lot of faith in their guys uh, after Flurry, and that's why they keep playing Flurry over and over again, which we said is a concern. Uh, but at the same token, the the games when Flurry doesn't play, they lose. So um, yeah, so a little bit, you know, I'd like to see this the second half of this roster make uh, some more contributions here. Because so the division right now, I mean, it's early, and we'll get to this in our last segment because we're going to focus on the Pacific. Um, you know, it, the, the, the teams that we, uh, the second half of the division, if you will, are off to good starts, and, and maybe maybe uh, one or two of those teams might surprise some people. So, um, you know, it's not going to be, it's going to be a little bit harder to make sure that you get one of those top three spots in the Pacific. It's not just going to be given to you. No, for sure. And and you go a little deeper inside that. Uh, you're talking about goals per game, and it looks great. Well, the the players on the top six, and I'm including Cody Glass's two goals, um, 25 goals. Um, the rest of the team, and I just had that in front of me. Ten, including including the bottom six and all the defensemen. So the the top six is twenty five to ten in, in goals for you. Like to see and no six three came, I believe, in the first two games against San Jose. He had one of the shorties, um, and Carlson just got his first goal with a goalie in the in the cage yesterday. So his his two goals, one's like you said, one's an empty netter, and he got his first first goal of the season with against an actual live goalie uh, yesterday against Colorado. So the Smith and Stone, 
lion's share of the scoring, 13 goals between them, seven and six respectively. And then when you look for Marsha show with two and Pacioretty, who looked like he was going to get off to a great start, it's been snake bit with two. Um, I mean, as many goals as William Carrier has. So even if you get out of the, the first two goal scorers on their list, there there's a a dearth of depth, if you if you will. Um, sorry about that. But the 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 numbers look okay. The the record looks okay. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury was like one, two, or three, and in, in just about every stat. I don't know if if how yesterday's stats um, affected things. He's yeah, two point three two goals against now. Yesterday he was like two point oh five. Um, save percentage drops down to to nine point point nine three zero, which is still fantastic. Excellent. Um, yeah, seven wins leads the league, but that's because he's played so much. Well, um, I, I think that's a great hidden point you discovered there. If you said to me that the Golden Knights are going to go in a 12-game span and that Flurry is going to play most of those games, and, on, and we know how good he is, but uh, he's going to give you, for the most part, an A++ performance uh, in his games, you would not sign up for a 7-5 and five record. If you no, look at it sir. that way, and, yeah, and they're they're seven and five and not five and seven or you know four seven or one because of Flurry uh, of that performance of the of those performances. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I think I don't know how much of it is because I mean the last three games I believe they've had uh, last two two out of the last three. They've had Haig and Bischoff in the lineup at the same time. So you've got two rookies on your blue line. I don't see them making repeated glaring positional mistakes. I, I, I see them comfortable in what they're being asked to do. Um, I see the forwards in some games. Hustling, and that's the name of the game with the Golden Knights, right? I don't, I don't want to hear about speed and team speed and all that. I want to hear about effort and hustle. And you're not gliding into the play; you're skating into the play, and that's trademark Vegas Golden Knights hockey. When the, when they're working to to get a stick in every passing lane and every blocked shot, and they're skating hard in and out of a line change, which is a, a hallmark of this team. When they're keeping the puck in the offensive zone for one, two, sometimes three line changes and just cycling the puck and, and keeping the pressure on. The, the, it, I mean, you could say this is, is the best team in the National Hockey League when they're playing fully engaged with full effort and full commitment to the task at hand. I don't think there's a team that can beat them in a seven-game series. I mean, we, the game against Pittsburgh, the couple games against San Jose – and they're playing without their full complement, right? They're not Schmidt and Tucker out. Whatever pieces and next man up philosophy, the, the bottom line with this team has to be work ethic. Um, and when you don't see 100% engagement top to bottom of, of every player that gets on the ice, um, we're seeing games like we, we had against Philly and games like we had against Colorado yesterday afternoon. The The – they need to come up with a way to consistently engage and give that work ethic. Because like you said, Flurry's been phenomenal. Flurry's come out of the gate in, in Bezina trophy form yesterday. There was a, uh, before the game weeks, he was saying that he's a heart trophy candidate at this point in the season. That's how good Mark Andre Flurry's played and compared him with the Carey Price year. Well, it's early to do that when Carey Price needed a freaking armored truck to take home all his hardware a few years ago and well-deserved, by the way. Um, but but the, the segment they did on Marc-Andre Fleury yesterday says Vezina Trophy finalist and, and Hart Trophy finalist if he maintains this level of play. And like you said, you don't sign up for a 7-5 and five record um, out of that 12-game stretch. If if your goaltender's doing what Flowers has been doing, so they need to come to the point 
where they're consistently again. And I agree with everything Mark Stone said yesterday. I saw the same interview, Chris. And it was it was their, in my opinion, their worst game at T-Mobile Arena since uh, opening night three years ago. Yeah, it is a bit puzzling. You know, after it happens once or twice, but by the third time, you got to think like enough's enough and realize, you know, we don't bring that effort and hustle. We're going to lose. I mean, that's 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 and we're going to lose badly. I mean, these the teams in the league are just it's just too close to call. Uh, even when one team you say, well, they're a better team than the other. Yeah, but not by leaps and bounds. The the margin the di- of talent difference in this league is minuscule. Yeah, so, I, I mean, when you come off a road trip, three games and four nights, and you get four out of six points, um, like I said, it, it looks like the cake is all iced up and ready to serve. But I think when you go inside some of those numbers and you look a little deeper at the way the Golden Knights went through this week, starting as, as – fantastic game in Pittsburgh and finishing with uh, an absolute stinker yesterday against Colorado. Um, Coach Gallant and and the boys need to get on the same page and just show up every night to play the way they played the first two games of the season and against Pittsburgh and fully engage in the process and the team's going to be okay. But now let me uh, go ahead and bring in Rob Soria. He is the author of Connor McDavid, Hockey's Next Great One. You can find it uh, anywhere online. Great books are sold. You can find him on Twitter at oil underscore drop, and he covers the Oilers for thehockeywriters.com. Rob, good day to you, sir. Gentlemen, how are you? Long time no talk. Yes, sir, but it is good to talk to you again. And, and I believe the last time we talked, we were a little bit gloom and doom with uh, salary cap troubles and how do you uh, – you know, improve the blue line and, and there's pieces on the roster that are untradeable. And then the unthinkable happens and, and the Milan Lucci's contract is gone and enter James Neal. Um, how, how, I mean, we all know that, that he, he got off to a fantastic start. Well, what have you seen um, from this Oilers team and James Neal in particular, uh, especially on the power play and, and how that's helped this power play unit to soaring heights at this point of the season. Yeah, the Oilers' power play uh, last year, you started to see it uh, start to climb as the season progressed, which makes sense with uh, some of the pieces they have on it. Um, the Neil thing, you know, when Calgary wow. Trailovin decided to do them a big favor and make that swap, uh, I know there are people who are like, oh, Neil's passed it and, and Neil's this or that. And that's all well and good. Um, and yes, he's flawed. You can tell me as well from watching him in Vegas. He's a flawed player. He has issues in his game. That said, he's always proven throughout his career that when he plays with talent, he can score, and he's very effective mm-hmm. on the power play. And he's getting the opportunity to do both in Edmonton. And as you also know, he's very streaky. Um, going into yep. this season, for me, I looked at it as a worst-case scenario. He couldn't score anything fewer than 20 goals just with the opportunity, right? So for me, the high end was let's see if he can go 25 to 35, and hey, that's still that's still what it is. And if the Oilers can do that, it's a welcome addition to be sure. Uh, but as we've seen so far to this this point in the season, yeah, they've gotten off to a great start. Um, they're playing a bit more of a disciplined five-man game, which again isn't shocking considering who their coach is. Despite him saying he's not a defensive coach, we all know he is a defensive coach. Um, <laughs> The the thing is, though, and I know people in other areas of Canada and in the U.S. don't like to give Dreisaitl his due, but the Oilers have arguably two of the best five forwards in the game, whether people yeah, want to how, admit how can you not? You know, like I know <laughs> people are, well, yeah, but you still, man, you still hear people who are like, oh, he's, he's on Connor's uh, coattails. And it's like, actually, if you watch them, there are times this year when it's the opposite. Um, Because, again, the scary thing with McDavid, as good as he's been so far to start, start, he's still not even 100% healthy. Um, So those two, and I get the the mindset of, oh, let's split them up and yada, 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 but the Oilers don't have enough forwards, so it doesn't really matter. And, B, those two want to play together. And they're they're not only special, it's, it's magic more often than night, or more often than not on a nightly basis. So, so those two give them a chance every night, man. They drag them kicking and screaming. And at the moment, like you said, everything else is going pretty well. They're getting decent goaltending. Um, 
Neal's obviously helped out quite a bit. They have zero secondary scoring from the bottom six, which they haven't for ages. Uh, the, bot- the positive, though, uh, while that bottom six stinks five on five, they have helped the penalty kill, which has been the worst penalty kill in the NHL for three years running on average. And it also is like top of the table for the most part this year, which has also played into it. So, so far, so good, but it's early. Yeah, and, and along those lines, um, what, what's the uh, Oilers Nation? Uh, are, are, are we uh, planning the parade route up there? Are we tempering the expectations? Um, how, how is the pulse of Oilers Nation right now? Uh, for the most part, people are tempered, but they're pretty happy. And you got to understand, and I, you know, it's it's hard for people to to get, and it's even hard for me to get really because I was around during day one with the Oilers. So I got to see this team win quite a bit. There's generations of fans that haven't seen them do anything outside of that one playoff run a few years ago, right? So for them to get off to this start, it's a big deal. And they're enjoying it, and, and they should. And, like, I look at it as it's sports. It's entertainment, whether we like to say it or not. They should they should get excited. Now, like you said, should they be planning a parade? I hope not because they're going to get disappointed <laughs> really quick. Um, but, you know, for those who say um, – these are their underlying numbers, especially from an analytic standpoint. They are what they are. And, hey, you can't really argue with that. But at the end of the day, as I said earlier, those two change the equation. Like, they literally give them a chance to win every single night. And we've seen teams in this league. We saw Colorado do it a few years back. Um, if you get a hot goalie or, in this case, you get two of the best players in the league who produce at an obscene rate. Like, I haven't checked the last couple of games what they're at, but at one point, man, they had – the two of them had got – were in on, like, I think it was 79% of the Oilers' goals from a point wow. standpoint. Like, I don't mean even on the ice. I mean from points. Right, so, that's silly. <laughs> like, we're, we're pushing 80%, you know. So, yeah, and you saw a couple of games ago, uh, they, they didn't get points. They got shut out. Well, that's how it works, you know. And, and Washington pretty much had them – in line as well and then they exploded in the third period and you saw what happened so yeah i think expectations are reasonable um i think because the start was so good now people are like oh maybe the maybe the playoffs are are realistic uh possibility and i think that's fair um do i think it's a guarantee of course not the league is so close uh you go on one losing streak um everyone catches you it's just you know it's uh i know People like to say the game, hockey is what it is. The game has probably never been better. Eh, to a degree, it's, I look at it still at points where it's just mediocrity, and that's just because of the cap, right? So that's not anyone's fault. It's just so many great players are spread out all over the league. There are no super teams. Like, there really aren't. It's like the, the anti-NBA, shall we say. Right. Real quick before I throw you over to Chris, and, and in a couple of years Vancouver might be uh, begging to differ with you about a super yep. team because that – that's those young kids in Vancouver are sure fun to watch. Um, but it, over the last week, and, and I was waiting for the I'm, – I'm not a big Mike Smith fan. We can get into the goaltending a little bit later in the show. But I was, you know, waiting for the, the 12 o'clock to strike midnight on the Oilers' fast start and everything. The, the game that impressed me in the last week was the Winnipeg game, was to be able to go on the road and, and grind out a point in a, in a, in a scoreless game. Um I kept I kept clicking on that game to see, um, okay, someone's going to score eventually. Someone's going to score eventually. But to to be on the road and grind out a point against a, a pretty tough Winnipeg team, they're not off to a great start, but they still have their toughness. Um, that game then then you know you follow it up with with the you know the letdown in Minnesota. And then coming home, we all know the first game at home after a little road trip, sometimes you could get the hiccups. But to beat a Washington Capitals team that's almost off to as good a start as the Oilers, um, I, I can't say I'm, I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid yet on the Oilers, but the last week, um, bouncing back from, from a, a little adversity at Minnesota, grinding out a point, which is what it takes to make the playoffs, right? You When you get back into the end of May, and if you could look back and you grinded out that extra point um, four or five times, um, a lot of times, like Florida last year, is one point from being in the playoffs. That that October game where you can just scrape one point out of out of a game could be the difference between making the playoffs and not. So I'm going to throw it over to Chris, but I, I'm 
encouraged by this last week because you know if if you know Neil and McDavid and Drysaitel and they're winning five to two and six to one and four to one and and they're skating up and down the ice and 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 having their way, you kind of expect that with this Oilers team, but it's a little bit different character on this club, I think. And last week kind of showed me that. Um, let me bring Chris in here. I know he wants to get into a few things too, Chris. Hey Rob, great to have you back as always. So um, tell, talk to me about the blue line. It, it seems like it's Clef, Clef Baum has had a lot of injuries, played through a lot of injuries the last couple of years. Is he finally healthy and back to his, you know, top self and, uh, and, and in terms of Darnell Nurse, as he's taken a step forward this year as well, what do you see from those two in the group overall? Um, that's it's odd because once Larson got hurt, people around here were losing their minds that uh, they were they were just going to be done. And while I I've always liked Larson from back in the day with New Jersey, I didn't like who he was traded for, but that's another subject. <laughs> um, and, and he's still a useful defenseman. He's just, as the game's progressing, um, you know, he's not as effective as he once was. He's just not a great passer of the puck. He doesn't transition the puck up the ice well. So, yeah, he's a great defender. So they were, they were you know, looking at that being a big flaw. And they, well, Tippett and them already came up with the plan of pairing him and Nurse as their shutdown pair. And to be quite honest with you, the first couple of games, they were dreadful. It's it's just not a good combination. Um, but to kind of reference back to what you're asking about, for me, Clefbaum is the key of their, the defense. It always is. Whenever the Oilers have struggled over the last amount of years, that's when Clefbaum's hurt. Um, so he's key, uh, number one. Uh, Nurse, I, I wouldn't say he's taking the next step to anything, to be honest. He he is what he is. He's uh, he's still young. There's still there's still room to grow. He eats minutes like a like nobody's business and he can skate like the wind and skate forever. Uh, the thing is, he's not very smart in his own end. He makes poor decisions away from the puck. Um, he's not the greatest passer of the puck. He can transition it quite well. Um, and he's gotten to be decent on the rush and on the power play. Um, but to me, from what I've seen from Darnell, he's probably, you know, he should be a number three defenseman at this point. Could he be more than that? Probably. Is he in the Oilers top, one or two, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so he is what he is. He hasn't regressed. I don't think he's progressed much from where he was last year. He's going gonna, gonna, he's gonna to end up getting a huge deal. Uh, if we re- reference back to Winnipeg, who you guys just mentioned, I'm pretty sure he's going to get a deal that's going to look comparable to what Morsi signed for in the offseason. Uh, with that said, the key to the Oilers' blue line this year, again, if you guys aren't watching many games, you may not notice, and his name's not in the – the score sheet all the time, but Ethan Bear has arguably been their best defenseman. The kids like, like, like we're all stunned because two years ago he played, I think it was 15, 17 games, something like that. Looked okay. Uh, last year he had a shot at maybe cracking the team, came to camp in crap shape, got cut or well, got sent back to Bakersfield, got hurt on and off, struggled quite a bit in the first half of the season. Uh, had a really good, strong second half to his year. Uh, and a playoff, and playoffs are really good down there as well. And Jay Woodcroft's the Oilers coach down there, and uh, he did say Bear was his best defenseman during the last half of the year and in the playoffs. And to the kid's credit, he came to camp this year, and you can talk to anyone from the Oilers uh, color guy Bob Stoffer to anyone else. The dude showed up like a new man from conditioning standpoint, and it's carried on from there. He was the Oilers' best defenseman in camp, um, and if you look at the game logs. The, the dude's playing like 25, 26 minutes a night, and uh, he's been fantastic. He's He makes all the smart plays out of his own end. Uh, he's uh, he's can pass the puck. He's got a bomb from the point, which helps on the power play and everything else. He's pretty sleek with the puck at the point as well. He's made a couple of nice uh, uh, plays where he's dragging the line and then just a simple shot to the net, a quick wrister that either goes straight in or deflected, something the Oilers haven't been able to do for ages from their blue line. Um, so honestly, he's been him alone has been the biggest thing. He's been fantastic, and because of it, it's allowed them to transition uh, Russell back to his proper side, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. And I, I think before the year's out, you might see a Bouchard up here. Um, probably not so later in the year. They just called up William Lagson, and for some reason they're not playing him, and they're playing Brandon Manning on the third pairing. I have no no idea, so don't ask unless they're trying to trade him, and that's not going to occur because no team is going to take him. 
Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the defense, man, has been uh, night and day from what it is. They have their issues, but if you're looking for a reason as to why, it's bare, uh, without question. I got one last for, one for you, uh, Rob, and I know uh, you, you got to go soon. But um, uh, Taylor Hall, uh, you yeah. indirectly brought him up. Now, someone who's followed him from his days to the Orioles, the trade, obviously he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year if he doesn't re-sign. Uh, you have any insights in terms of, uh, you know, where, what his thought process is? It doesn't, I mean, I, again, it reminds me a little bit, uh, uh, without uh, without the meetings and things, uh, reminiscent of what the, uh, over here with the Islanders and John Tavares, uh, if, if he's, you know, to me, if he's not signed by Jan 1, uh, they got to trade him. I mean, they can't have him uh, leave for nothing, especially where they are at with their team. you have any insights of what what hole is look where he's looking to go? Obviously he's played for most of his career a lot of underperforming teams, but um what are your thoughts about uh Taylor? Uh everything I've read, heard and a few people that I've talked to say the same thing. The the goal is for him to stay in New Jersey. Now whether that occurs or not, who knows? And like you said, um <laughs> with something you'd you'd know, I don't think they want to do the Tavares thing, no. uh, where, where they get nothing, right? And it's not quite the same scenario since Hall hasn't been there nearly as long. Uh, but right. still, um, I would would agree with you. If nothing does get done, he'll get moved. Um, as far as the Oilers in part of the equation, um, honestly, man, I've heard about the Hall. If he were to ever become a free agent, that the Oilers would be in on him for the, like the last two years. So that's nothing new. Um, I know people are like, oh, whoa, whoa, he'd never go back there. Well, I, I, Hall was never uh, uh, annoyed with uh, anyone in Edmonton. I think what he got annoyed with was, A, getting traded because he actually wanted to stay here. I know people don't quite comprehend that, but he did. Yeah. And I think the one thing he didn't quite like was the fact he was kind of made out to a degree to be a scapegoat for them not winning, which he was. Uh, that's exactly what they did with how they dealt with it. Now, in that, with that end of the equation, the people who more or less wanted him out are no longer in the organization, including the GM, who's obviously no longer there. And there were a couple other guys there that were tenured guys that wanted him out as well for quite some time. Um, contrary to what people do think, um, the guy's number that he took in Kevin Lowe never wanted him gone and loves the kid to death and still does. So take that for what it's worth, and I know that for a fact. Um, now, would Hall sign here again via free agency? The money's right. He potentially could. Um, you got to look at it from a player's standpoint. If you have the ability to play with the best player on the planet, uh, be it directly with him or in a power play setting or whatever the case may be, uh, and you think that team can win, and you know what the city is like uh, from a standpoint of when they get going because while he wasn't here for it he did see what happened after he left with that uh, run in the playoffs they had um i don't see why he wouldn't consider it um now would the oilers trade for him at the uh deadline if they do they're insane because they can't give up the assets and i can only imagine how wonderful that would look to uh give up two or three pieces for him to get him back at the deadline to sign him as a UFA after you got Adam Larson for him. That would be like a, a PR nightmare. Um, but, yeah, uh, I honestly think, uh, really, I do think with Hall it's wide open if New Jersey doesn't sign him. But I do think uh, number one is going to New Jersey. But I can throw that back at you guys, too. It's tough with Hall. Like, obviously, he's going to be in uh, that 10 to 11 range, I think. But how many years do you give Hall? Like, I don't know. Like, yes, he could get seven years or eight if you trade for him and you sign him, but how many teams can take that on their cap that are good? Well, they, they have a pretty open cap even with Oh, New Jersey team. does. Yeah, no, yeah, but I'm saying yeah. they don't. And it, like, if and another they, team takes them. Right. No, no, it would have to be – it's it's tricky because a lot of uh, – yeah. that will limit his market. But I, I think New Jersey is desperate to keep them, and yeah. I don't think it's – I don't think that it would be a problem from their standpoint no. of, of the contract. So that's no. that's what makes that's what puts the question in my head. I'm like, why is this not getting done? If you're well, the player because, and you're in the summer, right? No yeah. one's hitting you. No one. You're not getting hurt. 
once the season starts, you're exposing yourself to a bad year, an injury, whatnot. Um, so I would think if he wanted, like, hey, look, I think we're heading in the right direction. They're going to give me an eight-year deal, which no one else can. I'm going to make a fortune. Yeah. You signed that deal in the summer. The fact that the summer came and went uh, makes me suspicious. But I think it's what you said earlier, right? He's played on underperforming teams his his whole career. So he's heard that we're headed in the right direction multiple times. Right. He heard it from New Jersey when he first got there. And they made the playoffs, and then they stunk. And right. Yes, now you're like they look like they're headed in the right direction. But how many years did the Oilers look like they were headed in the right direction? You make a couple of poor decisions. And, again, if you look at New Jersey, they got some nice pieces. But you look at them as a collective – there's still there's holes all over the place. They don't have a goalie. Now, yes, I think most teams are better off going to get a goalie via free agency. But again, <laughs> with with due respect even to free agency, I'm I'm still under the impression there are maybe four, maybe five elite goalies in the league and the rest of them you just kind of throw them in a basket and they're all kind of the same. And it just depends on what team they play on. They'll look better. Uh the dude you got to watch in uh Long Island last year in Leonard, you know, I get it. He didn't start at the start of the year because he was battling injury, but he should be taking over Chicago's net pretty quick here, in my opinion. And if you could get a guy like that uh, at a decent number and not a crazy term, you know, it it makes them a way better a way better team to look at, right? Because yeah, we've seen too many teams. I think all three of us can say we've seen good teams that have crappy goaltending not win. And I think that's, like you said, it's a perfect point you brought up with regards to Hall. I, I think if he's going to go somewhere, he wants it to be somewhere where it's a, a no-brainer where you win or something where he's pretty pretty locked in his mind that that's right around the corner. Well, all right, Rob. Um, thanks for coming in. I know we got to let you go. You're a little bit over on your I got. Time. If you Tell guys it. need a couple more minutes, I'm good. I, I, I made you good time, to go? So, yeah. okay, if you well, guys want to go a couple more, I'm good. Well, as you were talking right then, uh, you're a couple bad decisions away from the lottery, and I, I couldn't help but draw a parallel to the Kings, where they traded oh. Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and a first-round pick for a Milan Lucic rental, and then um, should have cut bait on a buyout with Mike Richards about three years before they had to terminate his contract due to some shenanigans at the Canadian border. Um, those those two bad decisions, I think, helped dismantle the the two out of three years they won the Stanley Cup and turned them into, you know, a lottery team and Costi Lombardi and Coach Sutter their jobs. Um, so I think New Jersey is, is a, a good example of the way you, you phrase it. They're they're right there. I, I think a large part of the reason that they stunk last year was Taylor Hall wasn't playing. But they're obviously doing everything they can to um, ensure that there's some sort of foundation going forward. Um, the signing he's here, um, trading for Subban, um, a couple other moves they made in the offseason to – show Taylor that there is a, a headed in the right direction thing happening in New Jersey. But that's a, like you said, that's um, they didn't get off to a hot start this year when they, I watched them play twice in the preseason and, and Taylor, Taylor looked great. The, the, the team looked great. And for whatever reason, it took them a little bit to get their wheels under them this year, but they seem to be um, starting to pick things up. Let's get back to the Oilers real quick. Um sure. Preseason, after the Neil thing, yeah. and and with Coach Tippett, um, what were your expectations? Are they about the same now after the start that they've got off to, or or have you elevated your expectations for this team based on what you've seen, you know, through the first eighth of the season? Maybe a little, but not much. Honestly, for me, I I looked, I viewed them as a a team on the outside of the playoffs, but pushing all season long with the potential of those two dragging them into the playoffs. Um, I don't think that's changed. I don't think they'll win their division. Could they? Possibly. Um, I just don't think they're there yet. Um, as I mentioned, the 
Um, the fact we've again, Clefbaum's healthy now, so it's not like we've seen a resurgence in his play. It's, he's always at that level when he's healthy, so that plays into it. And what we've seen from Bear has been pretty big, so that that's kind of been a positive for me. Um, I expected the PK to be better, uh, so I'm not surprised about that. Like I said, it's just like a tippet MO sort of thing. Um, the one thing is the goaltending, right? And Man, that's going to be the key to their season. And I... Like, the way he's doing it now where he rotates them, they've essentially played two games each. Two games on, two games off is how it works, regardless of who wins and loses. Um, Mike Smith is what he is. I know some people are like, oh, he's terrible. He's just, yes, but if you if you know anything about hockey and if you know anything about Mike Smith's career, when he gets hot, Mike Smith can carry a team for long stretches. He can't. We saw it last year, even in the playoffs. Yes, Calgary got thumped by Colorado, but if it wasn't for Smith... I think anyone who watched that series knows they would have won it, but they would have lost by double digits every game. Yep. You know, Smith has that capability still to carry a team, but it's only for small stretches. He's going to stink during stretches because he's old and he's inconsistent now, and he's always been kind of inconsistent. Yeah. So the key is Koskinen. Now, a lot of people around here who are pro Koskinen will tell you that uh, he got played too much, and that's why he stunk down the stretch. Yes, Hitchcock went a little crazy and played him constantly, especially after Talbot got dealt. Um, and But again, anyone who knew anything about Koskinen going into his season even last year, there's nothing on his resume who's, that suggests he could carry the workload of a number one goalie. Um, now, in this system, do I am I surprised Koskinen's playing better under a Dave Tippett coach team? No. We've seen it constantly with many other goalies. So mm-hmm. that's not surprising. The thing is, can they carry it over 82? And secondly, I think we all know Mike Smith's going to get hurt at some point because he always does. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if they can balance it where they play, and I honestly think coming into the season, the goal was a 40-40-ish type of split. I really think they were hoping for a 50-50 thing. Um, and so far, that's what they're doing. And like I said, it's two on, two off, regardless. And at first, I was thinking maybe rotate them. But the two on, two off thing, in my mind, when I think about it later on, it's actually smart because neither of them are young guys. Koskinen's not young, like he's 31, I think he is. Um, why not give them a couple of games, let the body recoup, then watch a couple and play? Um, and so far, like I said, it's worked. Now, when the goals dry up and it gives them both credit, neither guy has let in very many poor goals. Uh, Smith had that issue against that one game against L.A. where he turned over the puck a couple of times. But that happens with guys that play the puck as much as he does. Usually not in the same period twice, but it occurs. So, But yeah, neither one has been terrible. <laughs> yeah, neither one's been terrible. So because neither one's been terrible from a standpoint of giving up that many bad goals, like if you, we remove those two goals Smith gave to L.A., I'd say between the two of them combined, they've maybe given up three bad goals all year. And there were games last year, man, where their goalies were giving up three bad goals a game. You know, Now, does that mean Koskinen's glove is still, isn't an issue anymore? Well, no, it is an issue. And you see teams constantly shooting up there. The, the difference is, and this is where I give the Oilers credit, not just defensively, but as a defensive unit of five, and I guess you give this to Tippett, um, they're doing a much better job, especially you see when Koskinen's in that, where they're crowding, they're condensing quickly, they're taking away space from forwards to shoot. Because anyone in this league with the skill levels these players have that have time to shoot the puck, they're going to pick it on the best goalie in the world. And a guy like Koskinen, whose glove is below average, they're going to pick it constantly. So they've adjusted. Now we'll see what happens in the rest of the league adjusts to them. I got one last one for Rob, and then we'll let you go, Rob. And that is yep. Vancouver and Arizona, both off the nice starts. Um, yep. How do you feel about these two teams? Are you uh, a believer in them that they can be, you know, one of those bubble wild uh, bubble playoff teams. What's your thoughts on Vancouver and Arizona? Uh, possibly. Probably both of them could be. Um, Vancouver's a little better than I thought they might be this early. But, again, we'll see if they can maintain that. Uh, the difference with them, they got a guy in net who's now confident and believes he can be a number one, which I don't think was the case with him prior to last season. Uh, but he's a good goalie. He's always been a good goalie. Now he's actually... I think he's mentally there. Um, they're a really good, young, exciting team. Uh, I think we all know, though, that doesn't always translate as this league moves along, um, and the goals come down as they always do. Um, so Vancouver could be tough. 
and and Arizona, I don't know, man. Arizona's Arizona. They're the same thing we hmm. say about them every year. It seems like <laughs> they're a good young team. They could do this. Could they make the playoffs? Sure. Um, would it surprise me if they miss? No. Um, I think they're a bubble team, right? I think both of those teams um, are in the same sort of position. If you ask me, going into the season as the Oilers, the only difference with the Oilers, like I said, is the two-headed horse they have at the top of their their lineup, who can literally quite literally drag them kicking and screaming to victories 10 games at a time because that's how good those two are and believe me i'm sure you guys have watched enough highlights and then even games with them involved i don't know of any team that wants to play the oilers in overtime at all like ever Mm -hmm. because if you don't win the draw and score off the bat you're in deep trouble with those two because they're just with that much space on the ice and usually they have nurse out there as well and again that's to nurse's strengths because he's such a great bat a great skater like those two in overtime like it's like you mentioned the winnipeg game earlier yeah sorry man like i I agree with you they played well that they they ground they could grind out that point that was the worst game i've seen this year it was i put me to sleep and that's what i feared when Tippett took over as coach like i can't watch his hockey because it just drives me nuts but that overtime that that five minutes made up for the previous sixty that nearly put me to sleep, because no both teams, because like you said, Winnipeg is so talented as well. So it was just two teams going back and forth, and like I could have watched that for another ten minutes. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, that's you're the hoping, difference I think between the well, Oilers and Vancouver and Arizona. When that game's on the schedule, is is that overtime times sixty minutes? Um, yeah, but. You know the, the old cliche in sports is you gotta you gotta win or get points when you're not playing your best, and that 100%. that's what I like. That's what I liked about that game. The other thing I yeah. want to go real quick back. Um, you said Mike Smith can can carry a team for long stretches of time, and that's true. Short and full disclosure, I am not a Mike Smith fan. I think yeah. that he has the worst body language of any goalie I've ever seen in the National Hockey League. If he lets in a bad goal, everybody knows it. If one of his defensemen uh, leaves him out to dry, takes a bad read, um, exposes him to a tough shot, he everybody knows that he's mad at that defenseman. And I think that can be a detriment to the team in the long run. Oh, yeah. uh, have you seen oh, yeah. that out of him this year? Or is it no, still- no, because it hasn't happened. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he hasn't let in any bad goals, and they've been pretty solid, right? So none of that that's really my, happened. That's my problem with Mike yeah. Smith is, is he has well, the, the – But in his defense, if you watch a lot of goalies in the league, a lot of them are like that. And I hate goalies like that. So I don't disagree with you. Actually, a guy who was here for a bit and had a cup of coffee with the Kings and Ben Scrivens. Ben Scrivens Ah, did that all the time. There was never a goal that went in that wasn't the defenseman's fault. Ben Scrivens would always, like, glare at you. And I was like, buddy, you're a minor league goalie. Why are you glaring at everybody? But you got to remember, I grew up here watching Grand Fuhrer, which is the complete opposite. No matter what goal went in, he never. I don't think in every any time I watch Fear play over his entire career, be it with the Oilers or after, and his many trips, I don't ever recall him ever looking at a defenseman. Christ, even the yeah. Steven, yeah, the Steve Smith goal, even in '86, he he takes responsibility. He took responsibility for that at that during that game, right after it. They said, "Oh, he's like, oh, I should have, I should have been able, I should have played it better. I should <laughs> like." You know, yeah. that's what you want as a goaltender, and that's what you want. Well, that's, that's what made sorry, that team great be. too. That's what made yeah. that team great is that they yeah. had 23 guys that took responsibility. 100. percent Yeah, but the thing I will say with Smith, um, and I don't disagree with you, but Smith's on his last legs. He's not an idiot. He knows that. Um, he also knows he's been brought in here part of for part of the reason is the leadership part of it. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see that toned down a bit, at least from the defenseman part of it. He is one of those guys who just loses it when he gets scored on, unfortunately. That's that's yeah. his MO, and I think that'll be there all the time. Uh, but I really don't think you'll see as much of him glaring at guys, and I hope not, because if he does, they should staple him to the bench because it's not necessary. And he's not the better goalie of the two. They both have, you know, flaws in their game. Cool thing with Smith is that he can move the puck, and the Oilers have never had that for a goalie. So, and that helps for a defense that isn't the greatest at transitioning the puck as a collective. 
Well, all right, man. It is good to chat with you again. You did say that it's been a while, and I say it's been too long as we go farther into this year. We're definitely going to be reaching out to have you back on as as we, uh, we get deeper into the season, man. Why don't you uh, quickly tell everybody where to find your stuff, and we'll let you go. For sure. Yeah, right now we uh, I'm still working over at the Hockey Writers. Uh, I've been kind of on and off the last few weeks, had uh, some other things going on, uh, but yeah, still there, and currently working on a couple of things. I uh, <clears throat> did an interview about a week ago with uh, uh, former Oilers broadcaster Bruce, B- Bruce Buchanan, because he has a new book out for the holiday season called There and Gone, so I talked to him a bit, so I'm working on a piece for that that I'm going to be probably putting out here in the next eh, probably week or so and then a book review on it as well. Uh, and then, yeah, just Oilers stuff from here on out. As uh, we get closer to the start of November, things kind of cool down for me and allows me to focus things on full-time for the Oilers. And plus, as you both know, I'm a big baseball guy too. So once the World Series wraps up, the Oilers get my full attention. Okay. Does the Nationals finish this off, or does Houston come back? Uh, that is... Uh... That is a tough one. Uh, at the start, I would have said I never looked at it as Houston walking away with it, just because the run the Nationals are on and that staff is pretty ridiculous. Uh, uh, I think they might. Washington might do it. You know why? Because um, Verlander is starting to look a little human. The last few starts, which again, with how many pitches that guy's thrown over his career, and even this year, you think uh, that's going to happen eventually. Yeah. And at some point, Garrett Cole has to lose, right? And yes, he finally did. But, <laughs> you know, even the thing is, uh, for me, it's the bullpens, neither one are great, but with the staff the, the Nationals have, it's easier for them to get down to the end uh, of their pen easier at times than I think it will be with the Astros. So, but And plus, on the flip side, you know, after the nonsense with the Astros front office and the whole. Yeah. Asuna thing from even last year when they picked them up from the the Jays. Anything where they kind of doesn't go their way, I don't think anyone can be uh, too sad about that, which is unfortunate because I love that team, like the players on it. That Astros team is just a a joy to watch, Uh, as are the Nationals. They've been really good. And the one thing I will say about the World Series and playoffs, for those people who don't follow baseball, for people to actually see that kid Soto play on a regular basis is nice yeah. because so many people didn't even know who the hell he is. And the guy's been doing this for almost two full seasons now. Well, all right, buddy. It is good to talk to you again, and we will chat at you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All bro. right. Enjoy the weekend. Rob, Take care. Yep, you too. Rob Soria on the Big Hockey Podcast, back with a bang, if you will. Chris? Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely uh, he, he knows that team inside and out, and Cautiously optimistic is what it sounds like, but there's some right. warning signs, as he said, the goaltending, mm. the secondary scoring. You know how? I mean, how long can their uh, uh, PK percentages last at the rate that it's lasting? So, um, and you know, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time left, just a couple minutes, but um, you know, division's pretty packed right now. I mean, Calgary, you know, not enough second again, top heavy let in too many goals. You know, Anaheim's a young team. Uh, they got good goaltending, but they're actually doing okay. Kings are rebuilding. Sharks have bounced back after a horrific start to the first week of the season. But, you know, maybe this division, maybe we're going to we're gonna have at least six teams they can playoffs in some capacity, either in the top three or uh, getting one of those wild card spots. So, more reason why the Knights have to get their act together. I think a lot of it has to do, uh, and we always go back to special teams, right? Five of the top six penalty killers in the National Hockey League are out of the Pacific Division, and six out of the top ten being with the Ducks bringing in the number ten spot. But if you go down the penalty kill percentage, Sharks, Knights, Flames, Canucks, and then Avalanche sneak in there, and then Oilers at, at number six. Um, that's, I think, Obviously, that special teams for and, and maybe it might play more of a role with the Oilers being able to kill off the penalties than than some of the other teams. But if their power play is going to click along at 33 percent and and they're a uh, top five penalty kill, that's good for the longevity of the Oilers. But also, 
when you look at penalty kill, you're not thinking the the Vancouver's or the the Ducks or, or the Oilers as being a top ten penalty kill team. Um, Flames you might expect is to squeak in there, um, not at number three overall, and then Vegas making a huge step to number two, and the Sharks. I mean, they were number one on the penalty kill most of last season, and they're back up at the top of that, which isn't a coincidence with why they've been able to rescue this season from the, the horrible start they've been on is being able to commit to that um, defensive uh, defensive philosophy on, the, on their kill at least, um, 92% leading the way. So the Pacific Division getting stingy with the goals against on the on special. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the team that I like, and you asked Rob this, um, Vancouver, man, they they drafted super well. And with that quartet of young players that they got, it may not be this year, but they, they, they're they like maybe a defenseman and, you know, a depth centerman away from being <laughs> a really good team in the Western Conference or yeah, no, no, that makes that makes sense, and uh, um, they've they've been climbing, doing that innocent climb, if you will, these last couple of years, and I think this year they might have staying power from the standpoint of uh, I think they I think they're going to be right there in it at the end for one of those playoff spots. Uh, whether or not they get in, I don't know, but I'm a believer in them as well. Well. They would be the first wild card team if the season ended today. Remember, we were doing the Central Division preview, and we're like, oh, yeah, both wild cards definitely coming out of the Central. <laughs> well, obviously, we're young, but Vancouver and Calgary both holding down the first and second wild card spots. Anaheim right behind them, and then Winnipeg um, three points back. Uh, Dallas a little bit resurgent since we talked last. Um, but but if I mean if Dallas and Chicago and Minnesota still struggling to find their way, we could get one or two wild card teams out of the Pacific Division this year. I expect Winnipeg to uh, warm up from a five and six start to work their way in. I don't, you know, Colorado, Nashville, and St. Louis being the three teams atop the Central Division right now. Um, I don't know if Winnipeg is going to crack that with the way that team's constructed, but I think that they, at this point in the season, I'd say that they should uh, be contending for a wild card spot at least. And let's face it, I think Vegas, Calgary, and San Jose were the overwhelming favorites to be in some combination in the top three in the Pacific. Uh, they got to get their houses in order in different ways. And, um, you know, Vegas has a better record than the other two, but, uh, because these teams might be coming or be a bit better than everyone thought, uh, yeah. that they were maybe one or two years away. Well, maybe they're a little bit closer than you think. I mean, obviously, look at just like looking at Vancouver. Their young players have gotten better. They've added Quinn Hughes to the roster and look at what he's doing, and they've added J.T. Miller to the roster and look at what he's doing. So you put that, uh, and then the goalie has picked up where he's left off in the second half of last year. So... Um, yeah, and you know Arizona is off to a nice start. It's always third place in the score. division. So yeah, score enough. So Kessel's yet to really get rolling. So that, that holds well for their their future. I mean, I think if those two teams can stay relatively healthy with their core players, they're they're um, they could give a run a bare minimum. They're going to give a run for the money for the big teams who who all have issues. Yeah. As of, as of right now, they sure do. Well, that's about all I got for this week, Chris. You got anything else, buddy? That's that's it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, uh, I right now uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good because the team with the longest winning streak in the league is. Do you know that answer to that question is current longest um, winning just, streak? I'm just going to say the the New York Islanders. Yes, that is correct. And okay. uh, you know they still play a bit better. Uh, but uh, likewise, like what we're seeing there. So uh, next week, though, I think I'm um, going to try to see if we can land uh, someone to talk a little Sabres because they're off to a, a terrific start and they had a nice two nothing run last night. Yeah, the, I, 
I hope this isn't reminiscent of their 10-game winning streak last year and then the rest of the season goes like it did a season ago. I think the Sabres – and we we um, we did we did the Sabres, and I had them taking a wild-card spot in the East, I think, with the additions they made in the offseason and the growth of the young talent. That's another team that's drafted really well, and the, you're starting to see those pieces mature as well. I don't know if they – stick atop the Atlantic with Boston and Toronto right there. And Tampa Bay uh, currently not in a playoff spot, if I'm looking at this right. So I, I think that's going to change. But um, can Buffalo contend for a wild card? Sure they can. And it'll be exciting to talk some Sabres hockey next week. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to line somebody up. So uh, looking forward to it. We've got a lot of good shows coming up as well. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the show today, giving us a little bit of your Saturday or a little bit of time throughout the week. If you download it, you can find us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, uh, the podcast app on your Apple iPhones or the Google Play Store. Anywhere you could search for the Vegas Hockey Podcast, you'll be able to catch a link and download some of our shows. We appreciate all of you guys listening. And for Chris, I'm Mark. We're gone. 